Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to global news in social artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton. And each week we have the pleasure of talking to someone who is building a more humane world from the inside out. Or in this case, maybe we could say from the ground up, or uh, <laughs> my guest today is Liz Grasnick. Happy Hollow Farms over in Montauk County. Hi, Liz. Hi there. This is the first time we've met, I believe. Uh, but, yep, I think so. But I've, I've been on your website, Happy Hollow Farms, and you have such a wonderful array of pictures and I don't know. Do you do your own website? Yeah, I do. It was built by my friend Monica Plus. She has a company called May Create Design in Columbia. And we built it together, I guess, 10 years ago. I mean, right, right my first year of farming. And she set it up and built it in a way that I can go in and make changes and additions and add photos the content that I can go in and change. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's one of the best websites I've come to that you, you can just thread down and drill down and, and questions are there. You click on it. The answers come right up. I mean, it was a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. I thought I was going to come over and take a tour, but our weather sort of turned uh, here. We're uh, listeners. We're actually recording this on uh January the 1st. This is the beginning of 2021. Yay. Thank goodness. <laughs> Thank goodness. Well, Dick, you can come out anytime, you know, so we'll get past this little weather blip and then you could come out maybe next week or you can come out anytime. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, it looks like I could even come out and work if I was a woofer. Yes. If you were a woofer or if you're a CSA member. Yeah, so. absolutely. So we, we have a few terms that we'll throw around here, but we're going to explain those to everybody because I didn't know what a woofer was or CSA or so uh, uh, be gentle with me as, <laughs> as we go sure. through this. I read this great article about you and, and the farm in the Columbia, Missourian, and you're from Columbia. I am. Yep. I was born and raised. My family's been a Columbia family for a really long time. Well, so has mine. Huh. Well, my family are the Gladneys. The Gladneys, um, okay. Yes. Uh-huh. So my mom is Rebecca Gladney, or, you know, was before she got married, Rebecca Gladney. And my aunt, Suzanne Gladney, who lives in Kansas City now and, and has lived there for a long time, but she and my mom grew up in Columbia. And my grandparents, Wayne and Betty Gladney, have been around Columbia for a long, they were there a long time. And then my grandmother's parents we're in Columbia. So, yep. Well, my dad, Warren Dalton, had Suzanne's, Columbia's smartest shop for women. Oh, uh -huh. sure, sure. So my grandfather owned Ernie's for many, many years. <laughs> <laughs> my dad's um, favorite place to go. <laughs> yeah. And he had a lot of other restaurants and hotels and things throughout the years, but maybe Ernie's was one of his longest, I think he owned Ernie's for about 20 years, maybe, mm -hmm. or so. 
Wonderful. Yeah. Well, our, our families uh, interconnected back in the day. Yeah. Did you go to Hickman or Rockbridge or? I went to Hickman. Well, I went to Children's House and then I went to Ridgeway and then Jeff Jr. and then Hickman. Okay. Well, we both did Jeff Jr. and, and uh, I graduated from Hickman. I had two years over in Fayette uh, for a little side uh, venture that my mother worked on uh, uh -huh. part of the business there, but we came back and uh, finished the senior year at Hickman. So we're both QPs, okay. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and we both left town after that, it sounds like. Yeah. You went uh, north to a school I'd never heard of. It was a small liberal arts college up in Iowa called Coe College, which was fabulous. And I'm still in touch with many of my friends that I made there and, and a couple of my professors. And then I went to grad school in uh, Ithaca, New York at Cornell. And that was kind of how I found farming and got into farming. And I sort of wound my way back through the Midwest and then ended up coming back to Columbia, really just so I could be closer to my family. Wonderful. Yeah. Because growing up in Columbia, I don't know, maybe your family had a, a garden out in the yard, backyard. Or no, something. no. My grandmother was an, a huge and had a very large yard, flowers, but did not grow any food. But she grew a lot of flowers, a lot of flowers. And, um, but um, otherwise, no, no gardening. My, my mom owns McAdams Limited. And yeah, my twin sister, you know, kind of runs the store now. But um, yeah, my mom worked all the time. So there was no, no vegetable gardening happening as I was growing up. It seemed as though you happened into horticulture or... Uh, farming because Peace Corps kind of played a role. You were you were out on a search. Yeah, I was. I would say that my decision to go to graduate school sort of fell in my lap, and I ended up deciding to do that instead of going into the Peace Corps. And while I was in grad school, just as a part of my living, there is an enormous CSA world up there, and joining a CSA is it was a very common way of, for people to eat. And obviously I had never even heard of CSA coming from the Midwest. CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture. And it is a way that citizens, community members, people like you and me can become more connected to a local farm and become more connected to the place where your food comes from. So you join a CSA loosely in the same way that a co-op exists. So a CSA has members and generally you pay up front and then in exchange for your membership fee, you get a share of the harvest every week for whatever the predetermined number of weeks is that the growing season is. My guest today is Liz Grasnick, Happy Hollow Farms over in Montauk County. So a CSA. Uh... It's, it's a way for community members to become part of a farm and support that farm and depend on that farm for the food that they are going to eat. Yeah, well, let's go ahead and, and break that on down a little more because as I went to your website and it had the question, what is a CSA? You show all these different options that people- you, can Sign up for. Yeah, uh -huh. do you mind just, you don't have to do all of them, but you know, sort of give a flavor for- Maybe first of all, our farm, we raise produce. I am a USDA certified organic farm, so we grow organically. I've tried 
lots of different things over the course of the last 10 years that I've been farming. I started out growing vegetables. I still grow vegetables. I raised hogs one year. I've planted many fruit trees. I do harvest some fruit from those trees, but the trees are, you know, in the world of a fruit tree, they're relatively young. I also don't give them a ton of attention, so they don't produce nearly what they could if if I was, you know, actively trying to raise fruit. Mostly I grow produce. You're located in Montauk County, close to uh, Little Splice Creek? Little Splice Creek. That's the creek that runs through the farm. And we grow in the creek bottom, sort of along that creek is the main growing fields where, the, where we grow most of the uh, produce. And we do grow around. So we have a number of high tunnels that allow us to grow winter hardy vegetables like spinach and lettuce and kale and Swiss chard and arugula, you greens. So we grow a lot of greens in the winter. So we are able to sell and have produce year round. We sell at the farmer's market. We have a, a CSA, the CSA season runs for 32 weeks a year. We could run longer, but it's kind of nice to give ourselves a little bit of a break. The, when the CSA is in season, it's, it's always, it's very busy. And we have, you know, many, many families that are members. And so we're packing lots of boxes every week. So otherwise we do sell year round at the Columbia Farmer's Market. And also we sell to Clover's natural market and to a number of restaurants in town. So I heard you say high tunnels and it reminded me that the way I I even learned of you is through one of your workers and a student of mine at Lincoln, Brad Fisher. I think I now know what a high tunnel is because I saw pictures of these uh, Quonset hut-like structures that yeah. have movable or removable tarps or something over them. Is that? So it's, it's six mil poly, which is a heavy duty greenhouse specific plastic. It allows optimum UV light transfer through the plastic. We grow produce in the ground inside the tunnels. You could put external heat in a high tunnel if you wanted to, if you wanted to grow something that was more temperature sensitive like tomatoes or you know summer fruiting crops Mm -hmm. but heat's very expensive so in the winter I just choose to grow things that are winter hardy cold tolerant you do have to do some covering and we use a numerous things to called row cover they're like big blankets pretty much and you pull them and cover the the produce to help it from getting as cold And then, you know, the high tunnel also itself holds in some heat. But in the winter, especially like yesterday, for example, it was sunny out, even though it was cold, it was sunny. And so it heats up very quickly and gets quite warm in the high tunnels. Um, You know, it could be 20 degrees outside and 70 degrees in the high tunnel if the sun is out. Wow. And you said the plants are actually down in the ground. We do a lot of preparation of the soil and of the the ground where we're going to put a high tunnel. Mm -hmm. So before constructing a high tunnel, I do a lot of ground work beforehand. And then once the tunnel is there, we're constantly amending the soil. And the beds that are in the ground are permanent beds and the pathways are permanent pathways. And so we're always walking in the same place (laughs) um, and growing the, the produce in the same locations in the beds. And 
you know, over many years of adding compost and fertilizers and plant residue and straw mulch and leaf mulch, et cetera, you know, we can build up the soil and make the soil and the growing beds inside the tunnel really exceptional. So Liz, you probably, I know you've, you've got a tractor, so you use gasoline. You've got a farmhouse, so you use uh, electricity of some kind. Have you thought about doing uh, solar panels or wind energy or something at the farm? Yeah, wind, not so much. I don't think that where we are in Montauk County is known for being in a really good spot for constant wind production. Also, our farm is in a, a pretty deep valley, so we don't get a lot of wind down here. But yes, so there is a rural energy grant, a rural energy program that exists through the USDA. And a few years ago, I applied for the grant and was awarded the grant. And it covered about a third of the cost of installing solar panels on the roof of our barn. All right. And we put up enough solar panels to cover 100% of the farm's electrical use. What? Now, we have two meters. And so my house is not on the same meter as the rest of the farm. But the farm, the barn, building, all of the high tunnels, I mean, the actual major electric users are on the farm panel. So the solar panels that we put up, we're selling the energy back to the electrical company. They buy it back at a rate <laughs> ridiculously low compared to what we pay for the electricity. <laughs> uh, it's definitely not anywhere close to one-to-one. -one. <laughs> so I got a loan for the remaining two-thirds of the cost of that project. You know, a vegetable farm uses a lot of electricity. It takes a lot of electricity to run walk-in coolers and fans. Oh. And we use a lot of water that runs on an electric pump out of the well. And yeah, so, so running a farm takes a whole lot of electricity. So I was really motivated at trying to do what I could to reduce that electrical use. And yeah. so we've made solar panels. And you succeeded. So you're, you're yeah. covering hundred percent of that with solar panels. Yeah. And I think in 30 years, it'll have paid itself off. 30 years. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you said you've experimented with a variety of things. I assume you're going to continue. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is what I do for a living. And I have numerous employees, like, uh, you know, Brad, this last year, we had 11 people on payroll. This is my business. This is what I do for a living. I noticed, and I was a little surprised that one of your uh, offerings is uh, pork. That people uh -huh. add right. eggs and or pork to their right. box. So, so I raise chickens on the farm, partly because I like, I want the eggs but they are in an, a great addition to our farm and to the fertility that we need for growing produce. Mm -hmm. So we, the chickens are in a movable pen, a movable house, right. and uh, we use electric fencing, which is easily movable. And so we move them through the different growing fields throughout the season. Mm -hmm. um, and so they are a very important part of our fertility management um, and pest management um, on the farm. The pork, I mean, I did raise pigs one year and decided that just was not for me. 
So I partner with my friends, Bill and Brittany Sullivan, that have Sullivan Farms for pork. And speaking of like a cooperation with other farms, do you have other farms or folks in the area that are sort of interconnected that way? Yeah. So I offer apples to my members as an add-on. If they want to add an apple share, they could add an apple share. Um, that's my friends, Chris and Yuli McGuire, that have Two Onion Farm. They're actually located in southern Wisconsin. They are dear friends of mine, and there are no certified organic apple growers anywhere. I mean, we grow a lot of apples in Missouri, but they're not organic. So I get apples from my friends, Yuli and Chris, and my friends, Tom and Rebecca, have had a CSA in the Kansas City area for many, many years. And they, the last couple of years, started making live ferments from the produce that they grow on their farm. Fermented products like kimchi and sauerkraut and numerous different types of fermented vegetables. Mm -hmm. Um, And they also make hot sauce. So I sell their different fermented things um, through my website to, to my customers. And we also are going to be this upcoming, as soon as this year's crop of maple syrup is ready, I'll start selling maple syrup. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. From uh, my friend, Jill, her family, her family um, farms and their family taps maple trees. And so we're going to be selling her maple syrup. Awesome. So yeah, I do partner with a number of, of different farms. Yeah, and, and I can see that that would expand as uh, more people are doing related kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you are in agriculture, unless you're doing it on a home scale, it really doesn't make sense. I mean, I cannot be proficient and excel and a master of my craft mm-hmm. of that many different things sure. <laughs> and nor do I want to. Oh, I've, I forgot to mention that we also offer um, goat's beard cheese from our friends. Right. I saw that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah. Goat beard cheese. Okay. You, you don't offer uh... <laughs> somehow I was going to segue into our mutual friend, Doug Ely over in lupus at the general store. So you don't have CDs that people could get. and, and uh... <laughs> No, it's only food. I'm a pretty regular attendee of the concerts. So well, yeah, we definitely missed that this year. We probably did bump into each other then. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, great, great. A real amazing community that you're part of. Oh yeah, this is a wonderful, it's a wonderful place that we have found ourselves in. <laughs> and I, I have over the last 10 years had an absolutely amazing group of, of young people that have come through the farm and moved through the farm and worked here and lived here. A few of whom loved it out here so much have found places of their own to live and have moved out here. Oh, okay. um, which is really neat because the folks that you are super familiar with are the, um, the older generation. And there's a lot of younger people that are moving in out here, which is really wonderful. I noticed that you did some addition to your, I guess, original farmhouse that was there. Yeah. So we bought this farm from Eric Hempel, okay. and 
he bought the farm from my also neighbors, uh, JT and Mary Castle, or he bought it from CH Castle, I think. CH is JT's brother. Anyway, that the Castle family ha has lived out here since the 1800s and have owned you know land out here and farmed out here for a very very long time so we bought this farm from eric and when we bought it there was really there was nothing here except for a very small little square cabin that he had built oh. so eric built the original farmhouse it wasn't very old but it was very small and, and quaint and fabulous for a single bachelor living out here um but not for you know two people and then certainly not for two people that have two children. And so we, yeah, we've added on and we've built a barn and then we added on to the barn and then we've built these number of high tunnels and the greenhouse. A uh, continual building project. And to see all the people that were there working on the putting together of a high tunnel uh, through the picture on your website, uh, just yeah. kind of like one of those old uh, barn raising Picture. Oh, yes. Yeah, you're talking about the picture. So that was the very first high tunnel I ever put up. That was 10 years ago in September. And we held a workshop and, and hosted a workshop that day and invited anybody that was interested in wanting to learn about how to put up a high tunnel. They came out and helped us that day. What a great way to recruit. <laughs> yeah, it was really fun. We had a wonderful time. And had you built high tunnels uh, on some of your other experiences in the past? Yes. Yep. I've, I've helped numerous friends put up eye tunnels, mm -hmm. both here in Missouri and in St. Louis. And, and I've helped with a build that was up in Wisconsin on a friend's farm. So yeah, um, put up a lot of them. <laughs> well, it's a many day project. It's not something that happens in, in one day. That was an interesting part of your journey that I paid attention to was how you were able to go and intern, I guess was the right word, right. various different organic farms. Um, yeah, that was like uh, 16, 17 years ago. Mm -hmm. Is that right? 17, it could be, it was maybe 17 or 18 years ago when I finished grad school. And I found some farms that offered internships so that I could learn how to do this. Yeah. yeah so that was my first introduction into, into farming was huh. interning. And I offer internships also and have had a number of interns over the last 10 years. I understand that you got married and what, bought the farm at the same time? Is that or not? Yeah, we, we bought the farm in November of 2007, and we moved out here in the spring of 2008 after we did some renovations to the cabin so that it was, so we could move in. And I was still working in Columbia, and I started farming full-time the January, pretty much, this, the start of 2010. So uh -huh. 2010 was my first year farming full-time and having CSA members that year. Okay, so that's the 2010 right. anniversary. Yeah. And, yeah. and that was the year also we got married that fall. We got married in the fall of 2010. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So a really big beginnings uh, in yes. 2010. That, yeah. that, that's cool. Had you all looked around and around for the right place? How did Oh, that yeah. Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, since I moved back to Columbia, I was in Columbia for seven years, I think, um, before we we bought this farm. Yeah, 
I had looked at a lot of different farms in many counties surrounding Columbia, many of which were dollar wise, you know, way out of my <laughs> price zone, way, way out of what I could afford. Mm-hmm. You, you don't make a lot of money selling vegetables. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. I think there's maybe 20 or 30 certified organic farms. I think it was in the Missourian article. She had talked yeah. to somebody from Kansas City that had done Right. I saw that. Right, right. I saw that. And I don't think that that number is right. I think that there's uh, more than that. Okay. Uh, there's not a lot more than that. But I think there's more than that. I mean, there are certainly more farms, small farms like mine, that are growing produce. Mm-hmm. They just aren't USDA certified organic. Yeah. So you are, um, I have two things in my mind at the same time, and one is very positive and one is uh, not so positive. So why don't we do the not so positive first? You know, the problem that counties like Montauk County are dealing with CAFOs. Oh, yes. I'm actively involved. Yes, right. Yeah. And I wondered if... uh, upstream on uh, the little splice creek you're having any um, issues with CAFOs? Um, not noticeably. Uh-huh. Uh, not on my creek. Uh-huh. I actually have a neighbor, a young man who is uh, a student in Columbia, who is currently doing a research project studying water quality in the streams surrounding um in our like northern half of Montauk County. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, and I'm very anxious and and looking forward to finding out the results of his study and what he has been finding. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least right now, and since I have been here, the we have a very beautiful and very alive uh, creek that runs through our farm. Wonderful. Thank. Yeah. What a uh... What an added benefit to have yeah. running water. Uh, I guess you have it year round. Um, it it is not. There is not water running in it year round. It is not that big. Oh, okay. Uh, there is water in it constantly, yeah. but it would be in like deeper pools. Um, there there are some springs kind of scattered throughout the creek. Um, so sometimes it's a very slow trickle. And sometimes in the spring, especially when there's a lot of rains, it's roaring. Um, but it is not a huge creek. It's a, it's a small creek. Mm-hmm. Um, and now my mind is going to shift to... Uh, <laughs> uh, there was a guy up in Milwaukee, and, and I don't know if, if, if you even visited possibly... Uh, used to be a football player and he, okay. He's, he's, he's very well known in the farming community. Yes. All right. I have not been there. I've not been to his farm, but there's a lot of urban farms that are, have been cropping up in the last 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. And he does workshops. And uh, (laughs) I noticed that the two things about his uh, projects, one was the uh, compost building so doing a lot of preparing compost. Yep. And also uh, having fish. Uh-huh. Uh, as as a sort of a joining into the mix of things and and sort of interdependent how 
things work together. Uh huh. So I was I was wondering if anybody in your neighborhood is uh, is the compost provider. <laughs> yes. And if anybody was uh, you know doing some fish. Uh, I don't know anybody that's using that's doing aquaponics. Um, oh. Not on a scale in the sense that is large enough that they are, um, you know, selling the, okay. the fish. Um, yeah. I have visited a number of aquaponic um, farms that are doing aquaponics, yeah. but they're it's really hard. It's mm -hmm. really hard to keep the water correctly balanced and to keep the fish alive and um, water and all yeah yeah mm -hmm. so i think that there's a uh an urban location in kansas city maybe that's doing some aquaponics mm -hmm. um i have a friend down in springfield that tried it for a while uh i don't think that he currently has his system set up that mm -hmm. he's doing it um compost yes you know luckily there's actually over the course of the last few years there's been a number of uh new companies around that are selling compost um and i have a neighbor that produces very nice compost um so i guess when i say neighbor you know he lives 30 minutes from me um but still that out here that's a neighbor <laughs> um and so i that's where i get my compost from mm -hmm. yeah we produce compost on the farm but not nearly in the volume and in the quantity that we use. Sure. Uh, flowers. Uh, I was yeah. su surprised to know you had such a, an array of flowers that you grew and. and yeah, I, I started growing flowers really intensely about five years ago, um, partly because I was, I mean, I love flowers. I grew up with flowers. My grandmother, you know, right. like I said, grew a lot of flowers and I've always loved to garden and I, I have always had a flower garden. Uh, and I started adding flowers to sort of my mix just because I enjoy growing them and I like having them around. Also because I was getting a little tired of growing just vegetables. Um, and yeah, so, so yeah, we've, we've expanded the uh, types of flowers that we grow, the length of the season in which we do grow them, and when we have them available. Uh, yeah. Yeah, what a great addition to uh, value added. Is that what you call it? Value added? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we sell those at the farmer's market and also to the CSA members and clovers, um, you know, when we have when we have uh, a lot, we also sell to Clovers. So they frequently have our bouquets at Clovers also. Mm -hmm. Is there a hmm, spiritual quality to farming that you uh, tap into? Sure, for some people there is, yes. I am not a spiritual person. I would not say that I am and actively thinking about spirituality on a regular basis. Um, I am sure that there is a spiritual quality to farming, but um, I don't I don't think about the world like that, I guess. Mike, do you hear my children in the background screaming? No, I, I don't hear anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, there's lots of yelling happening in the background. <laughs> I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to suggest that you are so immersed in the earth and in nature that it is uh, not anything that uh, you have to think about in terms of spirituality. It just right. I, I, that's what I was going to say and what I think. Sylvia Louise, <laughs> and take your sister out. You guys go out and go, go back into the living room. Sylvia? Sylvia, take Elowen and the bathroom, that's fine. Take Elowen and Sophia and, and go so that the noise is not so loud near here. Take Elowen with you, babe, please. Sorry, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Family management. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, my I guess I guess the spirituality world is um it's just in nature it's in everything around me and what i do every day you're embedded in it i mean yeah. it's just uh <laughs> you know some of us have to go out to find nature <laughs> right 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 yeah so yeah it, it's great it's great uh we mentioned way back at the beginning that uh if i wanted to work i might sign up at something called woofers oh yes so that is willing workers on organic farms and they woof is an international program yeah it's an international um and they have a website and you join their um their organization and as a farm i join their organization and it matches people that are interested in learning about or getting an experience on a farm and it's farms of all kinds and again all over the world you could go and you could be put in touch with a farm in hawaii in ireland in china i mean there are there are farms all across the globe mm -hmm. and it is it's a way to match the people that are interested in getting that farm experience and working on a farm with the farms yeah. Wonderful. I, yeah. No idea it existed. Uh, do you get any workers that way? Yeah. yeah. I would say um, it's cyclical, I think, like all things. Mm -hmm. Some years I have many people that contact me and are interested in coming. And some years, like 2020, um, actually, we did get, I do remember, we did get a few folks looking to come this early in this in the year um so some years i don't get any people that contact me and some years i get a lot um we i, I do have uh, on-farm housing and that also is is come it comes and goes in waves um but currently i the on-farm housing that i have is completely taken up by uh, employees that work for me mm -hmm. and they live on the farm okay um, and so I don't have any space. Like if somebody were to ask me today and say that they were interested in coming woofing, I would have to tell them, I'm very sorry, but I don't have a place for you to stay. Yeah. If you are coming in your own RV, then sure, you could come. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, 
but um, the, the one thing about the way that I have my site through the Wolf website, the way that I have it set up is I have a minimum time requirement that you have to stay. Um, you can't come here and just be here for a week or you know two weeks. Um, you have to ha make a, a commitment to come and be here for a minimum of one month. Um, so we certainly have people that want to do that and do and do come. But also I think it's a little self-selecting. I set it up that way on purpose um, because I don't have time to have someone that wants to come and be here for such a short amount of time to train them to have them be useful. Right. Um, oh yeah, sure. Yeah. You'd be training all the time instead of yes. yeah, right. doing what you're doing. Right. Because you have to get up at four in the morning or something and <laughs> put your rubber boots on and go out and see what the uh, lay of the land is every day. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And we have a number of employees. Um, so, and, and you know, like Brad lives um, not that far. I think he lives, gosh, it takes him 12 minutes to get here. <laughs> He's super close uh -huh. to the farm. Um, but I have employees that live in, in uh, live in Columbia and, and drive out here every day. Wow. And then, um, like I said, I have uh, folks that live here on the farm. Yeah. When you say they live there, I, I suppose that means they do their own cooking and and uh, yeah, yeah. I have yes, I have um, apartment space, rental apartment space oh. that is built above our barn. Oh, so in the wow. uh, space that we finished out above the barn, there's um, two really nice big apartments. Wow, oh, what a smart idea! Hey, well, we're pretty remote. You know, it would yeah. it would not be easy for us to, um, you know, if we didn't provide housing, especially for interns, there's not any place for them to live. Like, yeah, right, right. Yeah. Uh, do you have any, uh, well, did you ask if the flood of 93 had any effect on your particular land? Yeah, it did not. We okay. sit up high enough from huh? the river that yeah, there was no flooding here on this farm. Okay, good to know. And it seems as though organic farming is a plus in terms of uh, mitigating global warming, let's say, because of what? Yes. The sequestering of carbon, is that what is involved? Right, indirectly, I think, indirectly, yeah. You know, we, we don't use any synthetic fertilizers or insecticides. If you're growing organically, you are relying much more on the health of the soil. Mm -hmm. And if you're relying on the health of the soil, that means that we have to work doubly hard mm -hmm. to keep organic matter, carbon, like you were talking about, in our soils, which mm -hmm. means we do a lot of cover cropping, which means that there are acres of ground that are not in money-making crops yeah. you know they're in a in a cover crop for a year or two years or whatever hmm. trying to capture carbon trying to put nutrients back into the soil that then we will be growing vegetables on in coming years right right 
what role do earthworms play in all of that? Do you, do in, a, in, a, in ground that is not cultivated, in ground that is not worked a lot, you know, very significant, very significant. But when you go to start growing seven acres of vegetables and you're using a tractor and you're using a disc and you're, you're cultivating the soil, the earthworms move down and they don't stay in that upper six to eight inches of soil. So but in the time that you're not actively working that soil, they're up in that, in that six, you know, top few inches of soil layer. So um, what I'm hearing is that you are not able to do what they call no-till farming completely. So, yeah, no, we do use some no-till principles mm -hmm. on some places on the farm. Um, but not not solely. No, uh -uh. we, we yeah. grow on too many acres. I mean, no-till production uh, in a vegetable farm, no-till production requires a lot of hand labor. And when you're doing doing that on an acre or half an acre, you know, that's super feasible, mm -hmm. but not when you start growing on the amount of ground that we're growing on. Okay. It's yeah, I'm, I'm just throwing it out as a term because I've heard of it, but I don't know that even that much about no-till farming. Yeah. But I, I know a part of the goal is to keep the, the soil as intact, all the, the good things and growing right. critters right. that are in there. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. And that's what we do when we have cover crops on the ground. Yeah. 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 It takes a lot of nutrients to grow nutrient dense, healthy produce. Yeah. And we have to create that nutrition and get it from wherever we can yeah. and whether that's from um compost whether that's from you know various different fertilizers that that we are able to buy that are made out of alfalfa meal or cottonseed meal or fish meal or mm -hmm. um you know whatever um and then cover cropping um mm -hmm. lots of compost yeah. you know we find our nutrition in from lots of different places yeah. and use all of those tools in our basket to be able to grow really nutrient dense vegetables. Mm -hmm. uh, so Liz, you've mentioned that you have uh, friends in what, Wisconsin for apples and uh, over here and over there. And yeah. You've kept contact with a lot Minnesota, of people. Iowa, yeah. <laughs> all, over. Yes, all over. Even on the East coast, I have organic farming friends. Yes. So are you able to network in other ways with the larger community that? Uh... Oh yeah, normally, you know, not this year, <laughs> but yes, normally, yes. I, I've attended a number of different conferences, both here in the Midwest and on the East Coast and have been invited to speak and give presentations on the various different topics that we as, as very diversified organic vegetable farms um, are faced with, you know, I consider people that do what I do as some of the most amazing, talented, resourceful, hardworking people that I know. I mean, when you grow vet produce, like, like I do, we develop skills that have nothing to do with actually growing <laughs> something. We are plumbers. We are electricians. Some of us basic carpenters and some of us very advanced and skilled carpenters. We're soil scientists. 
there's not very many people that can say that they are proficient in that many different professions, but farmers are. It's plus, really, really amazing. Plus the whole uh, business uh, and yeah. supervision and organization of delivery and memberships and all, you know, this is very involved. It's, it's uh, Yeah, it is. It really is. And there's a number of conferences that happen, you know, in many different states across the country that offer the opportunity for farmers from that area to come together and to learn from each other. And I've just been fortunate enough that I've been able to attend some of those conferences and I've spoken at, at many of them and have met just an amazing group of people. I, I'm, I'm doing a podcast interview with my dear friend, Clara Coleman. It's called the Winter Growers Podcast. And I believe that it's part of the No-Till Growers Podcast. And my interview is on Tuesday, January the 12th. Clara Coleman is Elliot Coleman's daughter. And Elliot Coleman is one of the stalwart grandfather gurus in the organic farming movement. And I was lucky enough to meet her many years ago and we've stayed in touch. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Got it. I understand you like garlic a lot. I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh... You might say that garlic is embedded in your person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this image just keeps flashing in my mind of the new rooster that you have. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A lovely lady that a lovely young, young woman that works here. Uh, Chelsea is an extremely talented artist and she painted that this fall. She painted that on the barn. Yeah. yeah. How great to walk into that uh, image and, very, yeah, colorful, very colorful too. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. We're a very colorful place. <laughs> <laughs> well, I understand that you're a joyful person to work for. So, oh. <laughs> uh, I think that, uh, that, you know, whether we use the word spirituality or not, you, you have a, a quality of life and love that comes out of you that, uh, is palpable and your your people feel it and uh, it it probably gets into every bit of vegetable and flower that comes in those boxes it comes to i us. like to think so definitely i like to think so yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean part of the part of our our mission here at the farm part of my goal is to create a larger community and awareness around where people's food is coming from. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the food system is a pretty broken system in the US. Mm -hmm. And the more the more people that we can help educate and um, get to start thinking about the importance of where their food is coming from and that if they're buying food locally, that they're employing people here locally and food's not traveling halfway across the country for them to eat it. Right. So then, you know, all of the things that are attached to that. Yeah. So we are trying to tackle a lot of different social issues mm -hmm. here on our farm. Wonderful. You also provide uh, instructions for storing uh, because your crops are not available year round, they grow and, and then you deliver them and 
a lot of people don't eat seasonally. And if you're eating seasonally and you're eating things that can be stored in root cellars or in your refrigerator or frozen, or I guess it is a slightly more complicated than if you store something correctly, it will keep much longer um, because it also that thing, whatever it is that you're going to store, it will store much longer if you store it correctly, but it also has to have been harvested correctly. Mm-hmm. And then the handling after the harvest, post-harvest handling has to have been done correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of things tied to and related to how well something's going to keep. And that something could be a head of lettuce. It could be a turnip. It could be a cabbage. Everything has proper and appropriate post-harvest handling requirements. Mm -hmm. And a head of lettuce that you buy from me at the farmer's market that I harvested on Friday is going to keep in a plastic bag in your fridge for two weeks. But you're not going to be able to get that from a head of lettuce that you buy from the grocery store (laughs) because it already sat on a truck for a week. Ah, yeah. So there's a big difference. My guest today is Liz Grasnick. Happy Hollow Farms over in Montauk County. To shift gears just a little bit, I don't know if it'll take us anywhere or not, but politically, do you have any roadblocks politically? Uh, do you have a lobbyist? No. Lobbyists? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I mean, the thing that's been very eye-opening for me uh, moving out here as a lesbian woman running a certified organic farm in the middle of corn and soybean country. People out here, farmers out here, don't care so much about those things. I have been very warmly welcomed into this community, into the bigger community, because I'm farming, because I am running a business, because I am employing people that live out here, because I'm a hard worker, and I, I, I have numerous neighbors that obviously do not have the same political opinions that I have, but we still get along very well, rely on each other, call each other if we notice that there's something amiss on their farm as I'm driving down the road, um, call me if they if they need help with something. Yeah. Um, the rural community is is a very warm and welcoming place. As long as I am a warm and welcoming person. Imagine that if I were to move out here and shut myself off, uh, that you know maybe it wouldn't have been as warm and welcoming. But um, I've had a very easy and pleasant um, time moving out here. I will probably always be considered uh, a new person. You know, I will probably, maybe my kids, if they still live out here on the farm, they might be considered, (laughs) uh, you know, part of the rural fabric. Right, right. You know, to some extent. I'll always be a transplant. The reason- But that's fine, because the castles have been here since the 1800s. I don't have- expectation that I should be considered in that same (laughs) realm of (laughs) yeah so the the reason I ask is because say for instance when we talked about CAFOs 
there were lobbyists for farmers trying to stop certain legislation that would allow CAFOs to come in without the county being able to even regulate them. Yes, that is true. Yeah. So, so I just was wondering if there were uh, things besides CAFOs, if there's any uh, political issues that impact uh, what you get to do on your in growing at your organic farm, that sort of thing. So I, I just didn't know. No, not that I not yeah. that I am aware, not that I've been aware of. Well, no. you're, you're fortunate <laughs> so far. Yeah, that's good. That's great. We'd like to see a whole lot more of that. And uh, do you have any relationship with Lincoln University's uh, agriculture program? Yeah, I did. Um, you know, Lincoln went through a pretty rough time a couple of years ago. And um, since then, I haven't. There's been um, no professors that are um, focused on organic research or that have reached out to me um, with an interest in organic research. Um, but before the upheaval um, and you know nearly closing of Lincoln happened, yeah, there were a number of professors that were doing some really interesting um, and very helpful uh, to us organic farmers research. And I participated in a number of the research projects um, that were happening there. Mm -hmm. Well, in our remaining time, any areas that you'd like to let our listeners know about? Well, I, I would just encourage people that if you are interested in exploring CSA or becoming a member of our CSA, we people are signing up now. Uh, the CSA season starts the first week of May with our first boxes going out the first week of May. Sometimes we're lucky and we have a kind of an early spring and we can start um, towards the end of April, but we just opened up membership to the general public. I always reserve the first month or so of sign up time for my current members. Mm -hmm. And then um, and then we open it up to, to, to the general public. So we've just opened it up to the public. And so if people are interested and, and want to learn more about CSA or want to give local eating a try, then I would encourage you to check out my website or come see me at the farmer's market. I go to the farmer's market every Saturday, 50 weeks a year. There's only two Saturdays that the farmer's market is not open. And that's the Saturday after New Year's and the Saturday after Christmas. Okay. Yeah. And this, so, uh, tell, tell me where the farmer's market is located in Columbia. It is located at the new agricultural park, which is right next to the Ark at the corner of Ash and Clink Scales. Okay. The old fairgrounds. Yes, the old fairgrounds. That yeah. is exactly where it is located. Yep. All right. Yeah, I used to give trophies to uh, uh, horse winners there <laughs> a oh, year no, or two no, back no. in my youth. <laughs> yeah, I remember going to the fair as a kid there. Yep. That's something. My guest today is Liz Grasnick. Happy Hollow Farms over in Montauk County. One thing about becoming a member is that say my wife and I became members, we would, in our commitment financially, also be committing to help in a few deliveries and in some uh, harvesting of... Yeah, that's right. It's, it's very minimal. Mostly I 
have the work requirement as a way to encourage my members to get out to the farm and to come and see the farm. Great. Um, yeah, the basic membership uh, requirement is two four-hour work shifts here on the farm. So let's say you and your wife signed up for a, a shift on a Saturday morning or on a Wednesday morning. So you would come from eight until noon. And if you and your wife came together, that would be your two four-hour shifts fulfilled. Oh, wow. Okay. And it's, you know, four, it's just two shifts during the entire course of the <laughs> 24 week season. I mean, it's, it's not very much. Right. Um, okay. And then, and then, yes, you would, you would also help with two of the distribution location, like distributions. So, uh-huh. you know, it takes a lot of people to help during the many, many, many weeks that we distribute vegetables. And at each distribution location, there's always a a CSA member that's there to help make sure that the shares go to the right people, that people don't take something, you know, inadvertently that's not theirs. And then also inevitably uh, somebody forgets, you know, about the fact that they're supposed to come on Wednesday afternoon. And so the CSA member is there to give a quick phone call reminder to folks so that they can, you know, remember to come and get their veggies each week. The CSA members are vital <laughs> to the smooth functioning and inner workings of the of the farm and of making sure that all of our members are getting their veggies every week. Well, that's what community means, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. CSA, Community Supported Agriculture. Yeah, that's oh, right. I love it. Building community. Well, I think that is building a more humane world, Liz. Uh, Thank you. I I think we're a winner today uh, in getting to chat with you and learn about your farm and your life and uh, who you are. So thank you. Thank you you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate you calling me. That's uh, my pleasure. And uh, friends, uh, remember, wherever you are, that is your world. So please leave your world uh, cleaner more peaceful and more loving than you found it. Because if it is to be, it is up to us. Take care and talk to you soon.